Hey, hey. Hey, hey. I'm, I'm working on some uh, video here. Oh. You know, I think that would be helpful. I mean, you know, if not, it's no stress. We can pretend like we're Thomas Edison or something and <laughs> <laughs> do it through the ether. What was the guy's name that he was like, oh, so-and-so, come quick, there's a fire or something like that. That was Thomas Edison. I don't know. Maybe. Like Menlo Park or. I don't know. Teaching me something. Yeah. It was like, that's how the, the first recording got going or the first telephone or something. He was working with his little lab partner dude and as happens i guess with electricity and crap there was some sort of fire and he, he was like oh you know get your butt in here and he used the device okay. was that the eureka moment or and that was the eureka moment that was a eureka moment and i could be making this up that's okay but it's, it's entertaining <laughs> Just the meaning of life. So how has your day been? It has been very challenging. Just work is really, you know, when you, several things happen when you work kind of sort of in kids' mental health, it can be challenging. And when you're still trying to work in this virtual world, it's challenging. Communication's very weird when it's all this virtual stuff. And it's people who are used to doing meetings, you know, in, in person. How does and, that translate, you think, the most to the childhood development side of things? Um, I think that it is, if I think about it, I think that kids are, it's not as hard for kids in their development in a way, because they're really flexible and plastic and, and, you know, they kind of figure ways. I think part of the problem here is we old people are so geared in our way of communicating and our methods, and we're like frozen in these ruts. Yeah. And so we have to get out of that. It really, you know, it creates a lot of discomfort. Having said that, I do think that the kids, now getting off onto a whole other tangent here, but I do think kids really need that person-to-person -person conversation, connection, communication, all yeah. of that. But I, I think that they're more flexible and shifting. I think they're more flexible in finding other ways to do things sometimes. We're not. Yeah. Do you mostly speak to, I mean, if I can ask, like, do you find yourself speaking to adults that, had issues developing as children or are you more who do you like tell people who you what you do i guess let's start there okay, start at the so beginning as we say you should start at the very beginning it's a very good place to start it's a great song if you happen to be all about sound music however <laughs> <laughs> um i actually work for a um statewide nonprofit organization okay and our whole role is um really around what's called a family-run organization. So all of us that work for this organization have had experience raising kids with mental health challenges. The organization started about 30 years ago and it became very clear um, parent voice and parent support was not a part yeah. of that process. I can see that. Sometimes there was a lot of parent blaming. 
you screwed your kid up, mm. you know, um, and things just weren't built in such a way to support parents in supporting their kids. Or even to say, you know, what might really be needed and what, you can't cookie cutter what you give a kid in a family, you know, what meets, what meets their culture, their way of walking through the world. So anyhow, this has been a progression. It's been the family movement. Okay. Um, and so this organization has existed for 30 years. And I came into it 17 years ago um, as an advocate up here in Northern Michigan, just um, working one-on-one -on -one with families who were really struggling getting services for their kids or bottom line, not feeling um, hopeless, you know, yeah. like it's my fault and there's something that I'm doing wrong. And so connecting with them on a peer basis, hey, I've been there and I know, yeah. and, um, you know, hmm. let's kind of rethink this thing. So that's what I've done. Um, you know, just kind of done a lot of work along those lines. A lot of the work that I do is just helping other people understand. Yeah, I mean, the understanding part seems like the biggest mystery half the time. I mean, my myself or me myself, rather, as an adult, find that there's challenges and find that there's things that make me feel backed up against the wall. And I look around and go, am I literally the only person in this space feeling this thing and dealing with what I feel is everyday life so difficultly? And maybe it's not even everyday life. Maybe it's just a trauma situation that it shouldn't be everyday life, but God, would you be surprised at how many people deal with that stuff? Yeah. And how do you deal with it as the post child is always a question yeah. I'm searching to answer. And I think that, so you look at any, any question, any situation, any anything, the first time that you run into somebody else who can say, I get you. Yeah. My experience may not be exactly the same, but I kind of understand the feelings. I kind of understand the uncertainty, um, you know, and even better yet, they look at you and they say, you know, I'm listening. Just tell me. Right. It's pretty amazing. And, and I mean, that's the whole basis of kind of what we do. It's true peer support. We're parents with lived experience. And we're helping other parents understand, first and foremost, there's hope. What is your experience, if you can share it? Yeah, my son um, in kindergarten and first grade had horrific, a horrific time. Hmm. Um, school was not a good fit for him. He was not your cookie cutter, sit on the little rug, and, you know. Sure. And then get up and go from station to station to station. And like a machine. A little machine. And it's bright <laughs> and. Um, and inventive child. And so that really didn't resonate in that system or resonate particularly, I think, with the teachers that he had, especially in first grade. Um, at the same time that he had started his illustrious school career, <laughs> um, I had started working um, as a social worker. Okay. I came out with my bright brand new shiny MSW 
and he went to school and I went to prison. And that was mm-hmm. where I worked, was yeah. in prison. And so I'm watching things fall apart for him and, you know, hearing literally from one of the people at school, if you don't do something, your kid's going to end up in prison. Uh-huh. And how so, old is he at this point? I'm sorry. Well, he's he's a great big huge seven year old man. He's in first grade. So. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot to peg on a kid. Um, so I think, and and again, the kinds of things that were offered were, you know, fill out this survey, Connors and a Copeland, and um, you know, we'll look at it here at the school and evaluate. And, you know, we think your kid needs medication, but better yet, here are, here's some great parenting books for you. And so I think inherently that's the message that parents get is, better yet, yeah. you know, you need to be a better parent. And it's not about, you know, is, are there, you know, are there pieces that, other pieces that we need to look at? Is there such a thing as mental health challenges in kids? kids? Um, are there environmental ways? Can we, like, maybe kind of construct the world around this kid a little bit better? You yeah. Know, is it not a cookie cutter? Maybe the environment created the mental yeah. development. There's those two things, you know, there's nurture and there's nature. Brains are wired a certain way. And yeah, then yeah. there's also sort of all of the environmental factors that go into it. And it, as it turns out, um, did not pursue medication and didn't read the parenting books. I know that that's probably just, you know. How dare you? I know. How well, dare you? Well, thank you very much. <laughs> What's you? I'll to you. Because I have a great book here about how to be a better teacher. <laughs> yeah, right, or a better listener. <laughs> so anyhow, he, he ultimately um, was was diagnosed with anxiety and with sensory integration issues. And so we pursued occupational therapy and we pursued um, some social work, like out in the community, you know, working with somebody that, that yeah. could help him understand his surroundings and feel comfortable in them. And... Um, and amazingly enough, we changed schools. <laughs> <laughs> at, at that first year, first grade level? Yeah, so second grade, we were at a completely different school. Okay. And, um, you know, I think that all of that said to me, there has to be some different ways to do this, other than blaming and shaming. Yeah. But, you know, and, and kind of let's work under the premise that for the most part, parents try to do the best they can with what they have. Mm-hmm. But what about a novel concept of maybe giving parents more support and more voice and more integration and making them partners in this process instead of kind of shoveling them onto the outside? So yeah, that's, 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 that's great. Yeah. Um, the rest is history. <laughs> I mean, there's that's that goes through so much. I mean, I wonder how much of people's own personal opinions, even in today's world, where you see this tendency to clump up in shame if you have an opinion that's down the middle a little bit, you know? 
oh, you said that you must be this like that whole that's rampant, not even in schools. That's rampant everywhere. It's rampant in the universe. It really is. And so, yeah. you know, what are all the fine points that go along with that? And what are the nuances? And how, um, you know, how did you come to that? And, and absolutely, you know, I think that that's a lot of it. And, and, you know, we talk about culture. Well, that's like, what are your values and beliefs? And how did you get to where you are? And all the factors. Let's look at all of that instead of just going straight to, I'm just going to, um, you know, I'm just going to decide. I'm going to label based on one small statement you've made or one thing you've done or something like that. So, What's the magic wand cure to all the parents, like myself included? <laughs> if you had a magic wand, what would you do? Use your voice. And, and in using your voice, um, be confident and strong in what you know about your kids. You're an expert on your kids. It might not always feel like it. You know them better than anybody else. But then first be confident in that. And then build a team around you that has all those other skills and expertise and, and listen to each other and work to you know, with each other and, and be willing, um, be willing to entertain a different idea if you expect others to entertain a different idea. There's a novel thought. God, it's back. It's scientific, right? What gives and takes. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that like with, with kids, that is really important. And not only how we raise them, how we parent them, you know, and how we partner with the other people in their lives, but it really sort of sets, it role models for them. Just think if they learn that lesson and that's what they take into their life. Hmm. Ultimately, we might kind of change this thing. You know? God, and the sooner you start, the better. And good for you for starting as early as you knew to start because my uh my brief little situation is my parents or my mom specifically would affectionately not not that affectionately but say often i should have had goldfish when my father died i shouldn't have been emotional and married your father and had a bunch of kids and and spoke this to her seven and eight and nine and ten year olds all through until they were stopped talking to her so my like yes if you can my my struggle a lot is shedding that while I'm trying to change the world with what I'm trying to do in my own kid's world, rather. Yeah. I mean, we, we you know, in a perfect world, somewhere in there, way backtrack it. Let's take it way back. Somewhere in there, she would have gotten the supports and services, if you want to use that word, or things that she needed to maybe be a little healthier. Sure. Oh God. Right. Or at least was or, it not available or were they stuck in their little pathological thing where no one noticed? So I just keep getting away with it. So I just keep doing this and doing this and doing this. Yeah. This because now it's gotten to a point where I honestly don't know any better or maybe some of my own mental health challenges have taken over. Right. You know, so all of those pieces. So I think that there are situations, definitely, where 
yeah, damage is done. Or, you know, what if, what if, okay, so that's where she is, you know, right. the next step, that's just where she is. But then what if there are other strong allies and advocates and people in your life that could step in and say, okay, but we got gotcha. you, you know, yeah, teach a mom and there's this and, you know, all of this, but we got gotcha. you. And so I, I just, again, I think this is where it really comes around. Um, not a whole lot of purpose in shaming and blaming and guilt and all of that stuff, but it's just how could this have looked different at any step of this game? Yeah. And how can we assure that it doesn't look like that for other kids moving forward? Yeah. It sounds like you're advocating support for sure. Yeah, support. And, um, you know, it's really weird because as I think about it, I mean, it is a fine balance. It's a balance about support. It's a, a balance about taking responsibility as much as one is possible. Some mm. people just can't. They're just not, for whatever reason, they're not equipped. They're not healthy enough, whatever. Um, I haven't practiced that muscle of acknowledging you're looking at yourself in the mirror like for 30 40 50 years not just putting up a wall and another brick and another mortar layer every day and it's like you get to a point where then they're going to have kids and their kids are a decade or two old and then they look back at mom and dad and they're like what do you want me to do whoa yeah and so i think that's it it's it is this ongoing balance of all of it of taking responsibility of being realistic and saying I can do this and not do this, yeah. of you know, like you say, of of supports that are there, whether they're like formal supports, you know, that I don't know come from the school or come from anywhere, or yeah. if it's you know supports that just come from the grandma-like lady down the road, or <laughs> you know, all of those things, or supports that come from like you know my source of comfort as a kid is, you know, my dog that demonstrates unconditional love for me and somehow sure. I figured it out that I'm worthy. I mean, we have to think about all sorts of things and it's not any one formula or answer, but nowhere in there, it seems like spending a lot of time and energy just on, on blaming um, becomes kind of wasted energy in a way. No. God, it does. I mean, there's certainly a point to going through the postmortem of some situation yeah. and figuring out what happened. It didn't happen. And God, at the time, that stuff doesn't seem important. But then later you put it all in perspective and be like, oh my God, I was slowly dripped on a certain way and became mm -hmm. this different person. Yeah. And is that, you know, a mental thing that anyone else would have just been, ha ha, laugh at mom about the goldfish joke? Or, you know, like everyone's different. Everyone processes his trauma in their own way. Some people turn it into comedy. Some people turn it into death metal. Like, yes. where are you at with your passion or your expression of your pain? Yes. And acknowledging that that is different for everyone. Yeah, it is. And you can't discount how anyone else processes it. Or decide how they process it or decide how they process it or when they process it or tell them they have to change because that's another pet peeve i can't tell anybody mm. that they have to change 
to be a different thing or do something like so what's the or get over it or i can't tell anybody that yeah you can't i hear you there i mean that immediately puts up walls and whoever you're talking to number one you know and so i i really think it's when you look at like you say it's one of those really traumatic pieces the way a person perceives and processes all of that is theirs. They, that is them as an individual. Yeah. That is their right, you know? And Kinda, so yeah. then it's within that. Then what do they want to do with it or not do with it? Sure. Do they want to just sit with it? If they do, that's, that's what it is. If they want, to figure a way to have it look different as they march forward in their life, then, then that's where you support. That's where you come around. So, yeah. Yeah, I would be wary of anyone who needs another person to alter their state of consciousness in order for them, the original party, to feel better in their current state. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Too many words to ultimately say like, People shouldn't be changing other people yeah. for their own gratification or satisfaction or anxiety lowering. Oh, if you do this, I feel better. So now you have to do this. Like, and yikes. another kind of sort of pet peeve, if you want to talk about it, is folks that get into sometimes um, those human service or helping professions ah. it's because they want to fix somebody somehow. Mm. can't do that yeah that's the worst position yeah can't do that but it's when someone says i think this is where i want to go and what i do want to do i'm not sure how to get there then that's when you can join with them and say well let's see if we can figure this out yeah here's what yeah. i know <laughs> yeah, exactly you know, you, yeah. I know you. right you know it's there's this I always kind of look at it when you're working with a horse that is either sort of wild or untamed or whatever, and you work with them in a round pen, um, there's kind of a process that you go through. Number one, a horse that is really afraid is in, it's just like they're so in their head, they can't move. And so one of the first things you do is you get them moving their feet, you know, because as they move their feet, starts to kind of loosen them up and they get out of their head a little bit interesting the process that's like habitual pacers when they talk on the phone or something and that and as you're in this round pen you're in the middle and they're moving around you and you're sort of a little bit helping direct how they move and there's a certain place in this process be it an hour or a day or a minute or three weeks later the horse kind of looks at you and all of a sudden they relax and you see a different expression on their face Interesting. and you turn back to them and you start to walk away and they just follow you and you're joined up you're a team now you're working together you trust each other huh. and i think you know maybe it's too simplistic but it's kind of that thing with people where you have to kind of join up except with people you walk side by side I don't believe in anybody following anybody. Um, sure. Yeah. 
right? The metaphor isn't quite perfect, but I understand. It's enough. We're getting close. Yep. <laughs> close enough. <laughs> I do. I think that's, you know, that's another important piece of moving forward, dealing with, be it trauma or stress or anxiety or depression or anything that's kind of about joining up with somebody because when you do that you kind of strengthen yourself you find all this resilience within yourself and you sort of start moving along the path that you want to move on i think i joining up with others and finding the support or even helping others in that position yeah, yeah. both sides yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I just think that we have to spend a little bit more time thinking about some of those kinds of things um, for ourselves and for our kids, you know? Yeah. The first and foremost, I mean, that's where it always what started the mental journey for me was having kids and going, oh, oh you know, my little world is not my own little world, no. you know? And like, yeah, I mean, even being married and having a spouse, what enters you into that world but that person still comes with their own you know theoretically completed thought and ideas when you're imparting your own version of reality on a child instantly god i hope to anyone who has kids the responsibilities there at least it was for me where instantly you're like oh my god this is not something that i just get to do because the worst part is they bring out the memory of when it applied to yourself. And I didn't think about being three or four and even remember having memories until my children were three and four. And I said, oh my God, was I screamed at all the time? Because yeah. that, like, you know what I mean? Like stuff comes back to you where you hate oh, it, but. But isn't it really interesting that somewhere in there, you could have picked to just follow what you had experienced. Ah, but I saw it on their faces that it was wrong. So there. I don't know why that didn't happen to my parents, though. But you responded to that. The thing that was in you, and I know, I've often wondered that. I think about that a lot. Because it's the same way. I, you know, the sense of responsibility, the sense of, I mean, that is so overwhelming. And I was really lucky um, in that I just had incredible parents and an incredible incredible, incredible dad, who was just like this amazing human being, he really was. Um, Tell me about your dad. Oh, gosh, he was a, he was a World War II vet. Which awesome. Interesting. Yeah, it is. Um, and he always made us a part of his journey. I mean, he told us the stories of things that he experienced in the war, but he told us about the thought process that went through there, you know? Yeah, that's incredibly valuable. Little island in the Pacific where the Japanese soldiers were there and um, guarding a landing field at night and their dogs came down from the hills and the American soldiers' dogs and they played together. And, you know, my dad, this- Oh, wow, that's a great- Rural kind of- unschooled uh, guy from 20 year old from Kalamazoo said they can do it why can't humans do this dude Nuts. that's an incredible par a parallel there with yeah. 
the dogs figured it out, man. God, thank God no one militarized that. And dude, my brain immediately got dark, but you know what I mean. But yeah, but I mean, he, that was the kinds of things he would share. He was a, a just that's awesome really cool man, and um, and and went on and came back. And um, what did he do when he came back? He uh, had been very blue collar in high school, and when he came back. He determined that he wanted to um, be a city forester in Kalamazoo. He had seen the redwoods and he loved trees. And, and he came back as a 25-year-old ex-Marine. Wow. And had to go back and take high school classes. Mm. And he humbled himself and he did it. And then he went to college and uh, graduated with his degree and was the city forester and then the director of parks for the city of Kalamazoo forever. And wow, you know, brought trees and flowers and life and protected the great outdoors. God, so, that's a great legacy. He was a very cool man. Yeah. So I was really lucky to have that. Um, I was very lucky um, to be able at a point to go back to that little island in the South Pacific where he fought. Really? like the 55th anniversary of wow. particular battle and he had passed away but i could go back and so it, it was a you know he's a cool guy and he made you want to kind of um invest yourself in some of those things did he ever discuss being a marine in what year would this have been time period did he serve it would have been in the early 40s okay what was it like being a marine then and it was uh, it was very much um you know it was hard it was tough um, he was a lifelong friend with the other guys in mm. the unit. Cool. They had reunions every year. I went to them. I knew all the guys. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Oh boy. Um, and then he was also the Marine who had been in World War II, who was very much against the Vietnam War mm. because, you know, so he, he, he never, uh, he thought through all of his decisions very carefully. What was his thought on Vietnam then, looking forward at it because of, with that knowledge of what he had? Yeah, I mean, even in the 60s, he was just like, this is not a place for us to be. This is not an honorable way to do anything, and we need to not be there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think he looked at World War II as sort of a different critter in a way you know there was still this piece of you know defending country whatever whatever sure vietnam he just felt like this was not this was not yeah your heart knows like yelling at your kids this is not feel like the other yeah exactly yeah. A does not feel like um, so yeah so that was kind of how i grew up is just having this very kind of thoughtful way of looking at things hmm. but you know kind of back to that whole other piece of um how do you take an experience i mean it's really clear the way he did things and raised uh, my sister and myself is kind of the way i wanted to raise my kid and i knew that but then how if that experience being raised is not real positive and then where do you go for your kind of role model? Exactly. And, and that is a mystery. My wife and I are constantly trying to crack is, 
you look around and realize how alone you are sometimes, you know, and how you see my panic goes back to this little PTSD of if something's bad today, it could be bad forever. So I get into my head sometimes when things are bad that, well, it could be 10 years of this, you know, like, yeah, it's tough. And that it's tough forever. <laughs> it's tough forever. You're here to hear first, folks. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to somehow in there though, I think there is that concept of developing your own resiliency. You know? Yeah. Right. Okay. And it sucks. But I have learned from my experience. I've learned because I I survived my childhood. That I'm tough. Sure. And I can. I can do this. I can. True story. What a great way to look at it. Uh, If you can compile enough bullshit from your childhood and still be alive to compile the bullshit, it must mean that you survived it. Yeah, one tough sucker. There you go. (laughs) And if I can do that thing, I can do anything. You know, I can. Now you have more tools. Yeah, I can make anything look the way I need it to look. And so I do think that's, you know, maybe this is one of the keys is how we choose to frame it yeah be the the cultivator of your own garden well precisely no one else's garden it is your garden you want it to look like you want it to look i don't want anybody else necessarily cultivating it now they can come in and help and we can join up but i still want it to be my garden and yeah like but it. let me see your garden you know yeah. what i mean <laughs> what what do you know <laughs> what do you know and yeah what particular part of your brain do i want to suck dry and then yeah what other parts do i not and i think there's a difference between knowing something and believing something oh yeah like yeah. i want to know what you know i i'm interested in what you believe you know, it's kind yeah. of, I mean, it not always, I'm sometimes more interested in, let me put my tinfoil hat on and <laughs> let's think about stuff. You know, that's fun too, but. But if there is, I think there is a really big difference. And um, believing is that deeply ingrained internal, um, that's, those are sort of the mantras. Those are the things I believe in. Confirmation biases, it's those electronic neurotransmissions that have happened for so long that they, they are real. One plus one is three, God damn it! I said it was. <laughs> yeah, and my reality is my, what I know, so therefore, blank. But the third part of my reality is all I know is you can't know everything. So as much as your reality is filled with your own reality, there's got to be that little cog that goes off that goes, but I don't know everything. So I am what I am without all knowledge. So you're not a closed system. Right. Or you hope you're not. Then you get in those, what do they call them? Feedback loops where you only find the things that come back like that. Yeah. Because you, yeah, you're going to find the things that support because you're not going to be open to anything else. It's like, it's like when you have food in Tupperware for five months. That's toxic. And it's toxic when you open it, it's mush. What do you do? What do you do when you find yourself in those positions where you start to feel like you're cornering something pretty good? Not that you got it all locked up, but I think I understand the way this person is or the way that action actually was, or how do you get yourself out of those moments and see it for what it is, if if that's even possible? 
take a long walk. <laughs> Get the feet moving, circle the cage, look at your owner. <laughs> and you find yourself, you find a way to be very humbled. Usually, interesting. Humbled. that to me involves um, being around kids. Yeah. The living hell out of you really fast. Yeah. But yeah, about the time that you start to get locked in and close yep. off to all of that, but what if? But what if? Yep. Um, there's sort of a, yeah, that can become a little dangerous because you do. Then your brain turns into the, like the food in the Tupperware. It's mush. Yeah, it's kind of primitive in that way where it kind of self-survives where this is good enough, I'm fine. Like it, you yeah. kind of have to exercise it to, to want to do more. Well, I mean, think about it. There are some people who really don't want to think, to question, to explore, to poke, to hold it out, to look at it from 10 different angles. Um, maybe it makes them feel uncomfortable. Maybe it makes them feel um, like kind of anxious. You know, sure. they, want, they don't want that uncertainty for heaven's sake. Everything in our world is so damn uncertain right now. Sure. If there's one more piece of uncertainty thrown in there, that might be that whole, it sucks and it's going to suck forever. Yeah. People want something to make sense. People need something in a lot of ways. And then whether, you know, religion, the good, the bad, the ugly about it, it, it represents to a lot of people something, you know, whatever that thing is that keeps your moral compass or your desire to be better than you were yesterday. It's not even called a moral compass, but whatever it is. Yeah. It represents something and people tend to do better with that. And that sounds so contrived, but order is seems to be better than disorder. Yeah. And again, I think every person needs to figure out there's a balance. Where's their comfort level? Yeah. How much disorder, when when is it the disorder that encourages them to think and stretch and grow mm. and you know and develop? using that disorder to, to sharpen yourself with it instead of wallow and let it turn you into that food in the Tupperware and mush. Yeah. On one end, you turn into the food in the Tupperware. And on the other end, you turn into a chaotic mass of neurons bouncing all over the place. Yeah. And, apart. and some people turn that right into fear and yeah. shut down. And the fear is sometimes not even fear. Sometimes it's anger. Sometimes it's all this other stuff. So then I got to go, okay, if I'm willing to give myself that slack, I got to now go look back at my parents and figure out why they were screaming all these other times and, and try to just absorb it all at once live in the moment. Yeah. And that's pretty damn hard, Jane. I'm going to tell you right now. It, I, it is. It's like, if that happens, that's like, the ultimate breakthrough and then the next thing is you're going to figure out world peace there it is you know? right it is tough and it is hard and i think there is a piece too of just and i'm all about everything is about balance um and there's a piece where finding how how far you can go down that path to and that isn't like forgiveness or forgetting or saying it's okay because it sure as hell was not okay sure but saying i'm just you know this is where i am with it heavy burden laying it down um not letting it control any longer or not having 
not letting it take the energy that I have now decided I want to put into something else. But it, yeah, energy it, is truly a currency. Like you can run out. So is it sort of about control? Is it more about saying I have the ability to pick that thing up and be pissed about it when I want? Yeah. And and like beat it in the head when I want and say it wasn't okay. And I also have the ability and control to say, now I'm going to put it down, maybe just for today. Right. But there's something more important currently that needs my emotional currency. Yeah. And so I think that that might be another piece of it. See, but that's an exercise. That's a hard thing. That's a, that's an exercise in self ego slaying that (laughs) who wants to do that shit. I mean, I mean, there's a, that's hard to sell to the masses. And then obviously we see that no one's, no one's buying it. No one wants that in their life. No. Self-reflection. It's not, but then it, it, you know, I think it, um, Again, it's back to that. I can't force that on anybody. Right. You can't tell them to be better. I can't tell them to do any of that. But when the time comes that that's the thing they want, they'll be waiting for them. Yeah. And, you know, so yeah. Just a whole lot of those pieces. I think there's beauty in, there's a certain beauty in age in seeing where some of those things become. Yeah. um, We got to imagine. Perspective is super. Much of it you can get the better. Here we have being being an old heart is really useful and being a kid is really (laughs) so like the dogs in on the island. Can we come together and figure out some global consciousness on what we can do to make it God, there's gotta be something because people are in homes and in on a global scale, seem to not be doing that well. People are mentally, not right mentally, yeah. Overarchingly, people are really struggling. Everything has, you know, literally come to a head. It seems like. Yeah. Um, part of it, I think, is the distractions aren't there as much. People are being forced to sort of strip it down to the bare essentials. They're being forced to kind of stay at home or, you know, have their lives look different than they don't have some of those distractions. Yeah. And that's really challenging. Yeah. I mean, even on like a big picture where we as humans don't like the distraction could just be electricity at some point. The distraction could just be the, the new countertops or, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't even have to be spoon fed to you it could just be your own universe like we're not running in caves and running from lightning storms and trying to keep our offspring from you know get them to live past three years old like that's not in our human experience anymore so we still have this code i feel that is some angst to like struggle maybe a little but also maybe to have a responsibility is truly what that struggle is now i do think that that's a lot of it and it doesn't always sit well with people. Yeah, not, they want a different purpose. <laughs> yeah, this one isn't fun. Can't we do something else? <laughs> <laughs> right. It's just yeah, that has something else to it, and it's and and it you know, and it's sort of like you know, kind of people are are you know spinning and and 
I might escape it this way and try and do this thing. And it's like, nope, they hit a wall and they get thrown back in because there's just, that's kind of where we are right now. Yeah. Yeah, fess up and face up and do some of those things. and Fess up and face up and face the music. And if you messed up, I mean, I like you said a minute ago, you can acknowledge you mess up. But in the moment, does the person that you messed up with matter enough to you to change? Or is it just another reason for you to go mess up with the next person because F the world? Like, yeah. where are you at in your, like, do you care that your thoughts and your emotions are turning into an action that you don't like? Like, the whole thing for me was when I stopped liking the action, I can look at the emotion and try to control the thought and try to yeah. do that little circle of whatever. But you have to want to at some point, not that you ever figure it out once you want to, but you at least start looking. Yeah, because there's never any ultimate answer, I don't think. I think it's more about the process yeah. of looking, of thinking, first coming to the realization of this is not the way I want it. And what's the one thing that I can change in that? it's me (laughs) what a great reminder (laughs) you know i don't want that answer god damn yeah i hear you there i hear that and that's god but then if you can get in a mental memory of slaying your ego once in a while it almost becomes a a, an exercise you look forward to because then you get a new angle of thought you get a new oh oh that oh and it's not and it's encouraging to change something instead of oh i'm not going to alter my whole existence or how i see the world or how i think that person thinks yeah i can only handle myself in this scenario and it sounds so basic let me tell you but it's harder in practice it's really hard in practice um i mean after all if if we give up our ego what else are we what are we? Yeah. yeah. And what lies behind the curtain? Right. And, and I think that is a really scary thing for folks. And again, it comes back to that, well, what's behind the curtain, um, you know, is, is sort of kind of what is. It's me. I like it. Or if I don't like it, I have the power to potentially make it look a little different. But either way, I got to be prepared to put time, energy, and work into it. And then we come full circle to, crap, I don't want to have to do that. It's, it's a whole lot easier to just change somebody else. You know? Yeah, or go, or just, it just you maybe not even change them, but make up, hey, they're never going to change. And I'm always going to react to how they are. So therefore, I can always be how I am because I've accepted that you're blank. And I'm going to just respond to you the way I respond to you. And I am the way I am this way. Yep, I am how I am. Take it or leave it. This is who I am. Yep, because I'm. Can some people guard it as, well, I'm being healthy, and that's why I am this way. So now if you come at me with any new thought, it's because you're the unhealthy snot nose trying to change my little perfect world. And it's like, ah, so you're a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's what it is. Like, you, you need everyone to do that. And, yeah, instead of just, you know, I, I am this. But can I entertain the idea of maybe not always being this or at least respect and listen to and honor somebody else's reality? And, and, and maybe at the end of the day, I'll incorporate some of that into my reality. 
And yeah. even if I don't, it doesn't mean they're wrong. No. Yeah. I'm still dumb. And sure. I'm and neither one of us is right and neither one of us is wrong. Yeah. And just because you're sharing an opinion, it may be wrong. And if you're wrong, the other person doesn't become right because they can somehow find a flaw in your thinking. Yeah. Just means you're not right either. You know, that could be possible too. It's kind of more like we're both kind of what is. God, that's just, right? Zoom out of consciousness as a whole. Like on the other side of the curtain, we are literally these people that are bigger than our egos. And it's hard to have that translate that uh, spiritual experience, so to speak. And I don't know where you fall on this. And that's what this is all about is just sharing opinions. But I, for a month period, had a couple psychedelic experiences with mushrooms. Mm -hmm. And in those isolated pockets within that 30-day period, I was in whatever it is, experience those moments of the dissolving of your ego to where you kind of feel some ultimate, I mean, whatever that is. I'm just, do you know from a, like a medical point of view or from any, what that is? Yeah. I think it's the chemicals in your brain have changed. Yeah. And the way things then are firing and the way you look at things and the way you experience things and the way your, your brain processes things. Sure. And maybe it strips away some of those sort of preconceived ideas or yeah, that's almost sure. And you know, I think what is it? How why did we develop such strong egos? I mean, really? Yeah, why do we need them so gosh darn bad? I mean, it would seem for a purpose of survival, like a genetic baser yeah. code. If, if you look in nature and other things, there really is a desire to keep the species alive. And with that comes the desire to have power and control. And I don't know. That's that other part of your brain. Yeah. At a point, does it become very counterproductive and actually somewhat destructive? Oh, yeah. Because then we become uh, almost unable, you know, to live as a unit. We live as an individual. And at a point, that's not really sustainable either. It's not. I mean, I would imagine if you want that, you come from your own place of hurt to where that seems better than the alternative. So I'm just going to stab all these people in the chest so I can go be alone. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, for how long? Yeah. 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 So where did it come from? What purpose does this serve back in, you know, all the way from caveman to yeah. and moving along? And now where we find ourselves, maybe that's where a lot of the destructiveness comes from. That is, it's like you say, it's all about the ego and the me and the, and that doesn't work anymore. It shouldn't work anymore. It shouldn't. I mean, the age of technology is good and bad in its own way. <laughs> Especially when you struggle with it like I do. <laughs> <laughs> so if I can leave you on one thought, what would you say is useful in those moments when you find yourself completely back into the corner and alone? And you know there's people there, but in that moment, they're not and you are left with your own thought, is it truly a slow down and breathe moment or is it a 
look in the mirror moment? Or is that up to the, what is your thought on that? I think it is a slow down and breathe moment. Sit with it because you're feeling that feeling for a reason. Yeah. Even within that, there is learning and growth, maybe even more so than in other moments. And, and realize, sounds hokey. <laughs> That's but, okay. <laughs> Hokey's good. <laughs> realize that who you are and what you are and where you are in that exact moment is okay. It's okay to not feel okay. It's okay to, to feel all those things. It's okay. You're not going to sit in that place forever. You're going to, to move out of it one way or another. Sure. But it's okay to be there and be at peace with it. Feel the moment. Yeah, and just give yourself that. And you aren't your... You aren't your thoughts all the time because you can have some pretty incomplete thoughts. It doesn't mean you as a person are sitting there. Yeah. Your process, you know, ever evolving and ever changing. And thank God, because otherwise you'd be that thing in the Tupperware. (laughs) Nobody wants to be that thing. Right. And so even with it, part of the process, unfortunately, it's just a part of it. It is pain and it is discomfort. Kind of with that, weirdly comes growth. Which is always a good thing. Yeah. So don't discourage the growth. Like with pruning and with bonsaiing that I've tried to do in the past has been, sometimes you got to cut off a lot of growth that looks fluffy and foilagey. But if you're, but if your desire is to have the finished product, the miniature tree, whatever you're shooting for, you have to cut off that new leafy flashy pride. Yeah. And get back to that soul every time and cultivate this finished product. Yeah. That's hard, but walk down the path. Well, look how strong and gorgeous um, that little teeny tiny finished product bonsai is. Oh, so cool. The beauty in that and the strength in that. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of through the fire and resilient and kind yeah. of just perfect in some ways an imperfection so yeah. for sure well i appreciate your time so much well i really appreciate the chance to talk to you and so continue onward and upward as we will i'm sure i'll see you real soon thank you so much thank you Nick. Good to talking to you.